you have your Bible, look with me in Luke chapter number 17. Luke chapter number 17. All right. You're going to have to excuse me. There's a microphone on. Now mine will work. All right. Luke chapter number 17. Aren't you glad God's big enough? All right. I'm glad He is. He always has been and He always will be. And there will never be anything that will outsize or outstrengthen the Lord uh, that we serve. Luke chapter number 17 and verse number 11 is where I'd call your attention to. Uh, tonight, this morning, we have plenty of reason to be thankful, don't we? We have every reason in the world to give God thanks that He is due. Uh, and to do that with all that we have. And I hope that you will, not only this time of the year, but that you would do that in your life at all times. I suppose that a person could never be too thankful. There, there's a great need today uh, in our life, I believe, for there to be a season of giving thanks, a season where we consider the goodness and the grace of God and we respond to that by just giving God and expressing our thanks to Him. But I would also suggest to you this morning that it not just be a seasonal thing, but that it would be a daily thing in our life, that we give thanks to the Lord. Here, here's the thing about giving thanks. It is the will of God that we give thanks. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 8, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. One thing I know for a fact that the Bible doesn't say, the Bible never says that it is the will of God that we grumble, that we complain, or that we gripe, but it is extremely clear in the Bible that it is the will of God that the people of God give thanks to God for all that He has done in everything, not just in the good times, not just in the high times, but in everything we give thanks to the Lord because He is worthy of that. And as we look at the Bible from the front to the back, the Bible teaches us and displays the people of God giving thanks to Him from the, from the very beginning to the end. And I'm glad to say this morning that at the end, it ends with an eternal reunion in heaven, in glory, where the people of God are bowed down before the Lord, saying, Thou art worthy to receive honor and glory and power. He said, For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure Thou hast created them. One day when we get to glory, there's not going to be any distractions that keep us from giving thanks to the Lord. We'll do it throughout all eternity. But for just a moment this morning, I would like to call your attention to this text with this thought, the four marks of a thankful heart. In Luke chapter number 17, Jesus is passing through Samaria and Galilee. Our text picks up in a small little village uh, in that area, and the characters of that story are Jesus and ten of the lepers of that day and that community. In verse number 11, the Bible reads that it came to pass as He went to Jerusalem that He passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And if you would, for just a moment, notice that phrase there, that He passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. That's not where He was headed. He was headed to Jerusalem. But aren't you glad this morning that the Lord's willing to stop along 
along the way and help those that are in need. We oftentimes we characterize the story of John chapter 4 when Jesus must needs go through Samaria. But here he finds himself in the same place, not with a woman who has been married five times, but with men that had a disease of leprosy. Yet he was still willing to stop and deal with the needs of that day. And I'm sure thankful for a God that's never too busy for a person like me. I'm sure thankful for a God that is never too caught up with the bigger people of society that He doesn't have time for a person like me. That He still has time to stop and deal with the things that I have going on in my life. He passes through the midst of Samaria and Galilee and as He entered into a certain village, there met Him ten men that were lepers which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when He saw them, He said unto them, Go show yourself unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. And he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith had made thee whole. You know, to really understand this story and the, the idea that I would like to preach to you about in just a few minutes, we have to consider the condition that these men were in. They were, they, they were diagnosed, they were dealing with the terrible disease of leprosy. It was a disease that destroyed your flesh. It was a disease that defiled you. It was a disease that separated you. In many cases, these men that came down with leprosy, they would be placed on the outside of the camp, on the outside of the village, not around all of the people because they had a disease that could be given to others, but they were also ceremonial unclean. And if they got around any of the other people and they might have accidentally got too close, then they couldn't have participated in the religious events of that day. And so they were pushed out or among the people. They were pushed out of the, the village and the community and they would have to sit out there. And it was a disease of shame because when somebody would walk by, this man with leprosy, he couldn't just hide in the corner, but he had to announce himself as unclean. Can you imagine being so sick and, and being so looked down upon from others because of the disease that you had that any time a person came near to you, you would have to say, whoa, I'm unclean. Don't, don't come near me. Don't get too close to me because I'm unclean. That's how they had to, to live. It, it robbed them of the quality of their life. It caused a great sickness that they had to deal with. But it was also for many people, it was a death sentence. There was no survival. They didn't know if they would be cured. They didn't know if they would overcome it. There was nothing that they could do of themselves. And I would submit to you that leprosy was probably at that time one of the worst things that a person could come down with. But I would also tell you this morning that there is a sickness and there is a disease that is far greater than the disease of leprosy. And it is not one that a few people get. It is not one that most people avoid, but it is a disease that the entire world has been contaminated with. It is a disease that the entire population 
all the way back to Adam has in their very nature, in their very core, and there is no way to overcome it of ourselves. This disease is the root problem of everything in our world today. I would say this morning that the problems in America are not politics, they are not policy, they are not social media, they are not news media outlets, they are not government, they are not schoolhouses, but the root problem of everything going on in our world today is sin. It is sin is the problem. We like to say, well, the problem is this, and the problem can be dealt with with this. Here's what our world likes to offer, a lot of band-aids for a problem that can only be cured by Jesus Christ Himself. Sin is the problem. It is the problem in our world, and it is the problem in our family. It brings destruction to our life. It destroys everything that God is trying to do, but not only is sin this destructive sin a sickness like leprosy but it is also a separating sickness because sin while sin does not necessarily push you out of the camp of the people sin separates you from the almighty and because of your sin and because of my sin we are separated from God and there is not one thing that I can do to reconcile myself to God but because of my sin and my unrighteousness and my filthiness then I have no part in God by myself. Go a step further than that. I am the enemy of the gospel by myself. In my flesh and without Jesus Christ, I'm not in the middle ground. I'm on the opposite ground. I'm on the enemy ground. I'm against God because I'm separated because of my sin. You say, well, I'm glad I'm not a sinner this morning. The Bible says if somebody says they have no sin, they are a liar. And if you're here this morning and you're saying, well, I don't have sin and I don't have that problem, the Bible is clear that you are a liar this morning because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There are none that doeth good. No, not one. All have gone away and none seek after God. There are none that are doing right. You say, that's right. Our world is full of a bunch of sinners. Hey, our church is full of a bunch of sinners. All right. Everyone that you go in this world is full of a bunch of sinners because there's nobody that can escape the sickness and the disease of sin. It is given to you from the time that you were conceived and you will deal with it until the day that you die. It is a separating disease that separates you from God and it is a disease that carries with it the worst death sentence there is. The Bible says that the wages of sin is not just destruction, it is not just problems, but the wages of sin is death. It's certain that's what it brings. Now we're all familiar with physical death because we all go to funerals and we know people that die on a weekly basis it seems. We're, we're around a physical death. We have become so used to physical death. We don't, it's not really bothers us that anymore. But can I say that physical death is not the big part of the sentence of sin. We're all going to die. The atheist believes in death, alright? The atheist acknowledges that part of living is to die one day. It's something that has to happen. But there is a part of that sentence that goes beyond the grave. And it goes beyond the physical death. Jesus told of a time where people were going to appear before Him 
And they were going to come and they were going to say, Lord, we did all these wonderful things, right? They're going to say, Lord, we cast out devils in Your name and we prophesied in Your name and we did many wonderful works for the kingdom of God. And Jesus is going to say to those people, depart from Me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. John told of that event when he saw it in the book of Revelation. And he said that all death, hell, and the grave, they'd all be risen up and they would stand before Jesus Christ at the great white throne judgment and the books would be open and they would stand and they would probably try to prove their innocence and Jesus will condemn them. Their name will not be found in the Lamb's book of life and the Bible says that they will be cast into the lake of fire and He says this is the second death. It is the second death, the final death and forever they would be cast into the lake of fire and could I just remind you this morning leprosy might be bad, cancer might be bad, heart failure might be bad, but there is nothing as bad as having an uncured problem with sin because it doesn't just result in the physical grave, but it results in the lake of fire for eternity. There will never be a place to go. There will never be a way of escape. But all throughout eternity, those that died in their sin will suffer forever in the lake of fire all because they rejected the cure. All because they rejected the cure. There's nothing that I can do for myself. Just as those men could do nothing for themselves because of their leprosy. There is nothing that you and I can do because of our sin. But I'm sure glad there was somebody in this story that could. I'm sure glad that while there were ten men that had leprosy and had no hope, there was a man who had healing. There was a man who had the ability. And Jesus showed up and these men came to Him. And look at what the Bible says. When He saw them, He said unto them, Go show yourself unto the priest. And it came to pass as they went they were cleansed when they trusted in the word that he gave to them and they began to travel toward that priest that terrible and awful disease that they had that they could do nothing about immediately and suddenly they were cleansed of it and it was gone and it was like they never had it before I'm sure glad this morning that there is still a savior that's able to cleanse us like he cleansed those men I'm sure glad that when somebody goes before the Lord Jesus Christ with all of their sin and all of their shame and they say Lord here's my sin would you please cleanse me that there is still a fountain that is filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and that when sinners get plunged beneath it they lose all not some but they lose all their guilty stains there's never been a fountain like the fountain that flowed out of the side of Jesus on Calvary's hill when he laid on when he suffered on that cross for those six hours and he bled and he agonized and he was tormented and then that Roman soldier can you imagine as he punctured that side of Jesus with that spear and blood and water it flowed out of his side and can I say that 2,000 years later that fountain is still flowing and that fountain is still powerful and that fountain is still cleansing and there's not one black heart that can't be washed in that perfect pure blood and be made white as snow again. It's still doing the same thing that it's always been able to do. The blood is still able to cleanse any sinner that would call on Jesus Christ. These lepers, they were cleansed by the Word of the Lord. And there's not one sinner that can't cry out to Jesus as they did and say, Master, have mercy on me. 
Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, forgive me. I'm just a sinner. And immediately, there in glory somehow, the Lord is our advocate and God on the throne takes that blood and I believe He applies it to our name. And there will come a day when God will look down at us and when He sees the blood, He's going to pass over us. And all that judgment and all that wrath and that lake of fire and that hell and everything else at all that we've read about, we don't have to worry about it. Not because we went to church. Not because we were righteous. Not because we were spiritual. But because there was a day that we cried out to the Master and the Master applied the blood that He shed on Calvary to our name and to our life and to our heart. And we were made whole again just like we had never sinned before. I'm a sinner today and I'll be a sinner until the day that I die. But when the Lord looks down at me, He doesn't see my filth. He doesn't see my rags. But He sees the precious blood of His Son that was shed on Calvary's cross. And it's enough to cover what I did do. It's enough to cover what I am doing. And praise God, it'll be enough to cover everything that I do in the future. It will always be enough. There is cleansing for the sinner this morning. There is cleansing for those who have wandered off in their sin and left the Lord. There's not one sin that's too great for the blood of the Lord to cleanse and wash away. His blood is perfect. I like the song, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and righteousness. This is all that I have. There's nothing else that I can add to it but that precious blood that Jesus shed on Calvary's cross. We are not redeemed with corruptible things. We're not redeemed with the tradition of our fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. The precious, powerful, perfect blood that Jesus shed on Calvary. It is enough to cleanse us of our sin and nothing else will do that. We see their condition. We see their cleansing. And now that I'm done with the introduction, I want to share with you a few points this morning. We see the choice that they made. Look at what it says here in verse number 15. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice he glorified God. All ten of them got healed, all right? All ten of them got cleansed, every bit of them. One of them didn't get more than the other. They all left that moment healed, ready to go. They could go back to camp. They could go back to family. Life was restored. They all got the same thing, but they all made a different choice. There were nine of them that got what they wanted, and they left. There were nine of them. They got what they wanted from the Master, and that was all they cared about. But there was one. There, there was one who came back and felt the need to give thanks to the Lord. And look at the question that Jesus asked in verse number 17. Were there not ten cleansed? But here it is. Where are the nine? But what, what a challenging question that is that the Lord asked when this one... He said, well, were there ten of you that, that I cleansed and I made whole? Where are the other ones? Can I say that the Lord had full expectation that all ten of them would return and give Him thanks and when only one came back he was shocked he was surprised and here it is he was disappointed because all of them should have returned to give him thanks but it's the truth it's it's played out in our life we see it all the time how many of those that have been saved how many of those that have been born again and cleansed actually come back to the lord like they should in this story when you consider this one that came back and oftentimes wonder how how many times the Lord probably asked that question? When He looks down, whether it be at 
prayer time, whether it be at church time, whether it be just in our day-to-day life, I wonder how often the Lord looks down and says, man, where is everybody else? You see, the question is not whether or not there are that many people that should return. The question is simply, where are they? Where, where are they? Why, why haven't they returned? Why, why haven't they given thanks? Why, why haven't they made that a priority in their life? When we consider this story and we consider this one man that decided to give thanks, there are four marks of a thankful heart. And I'll be quick and I'll be done. But here they are. A thankful heart returns. Look at what it says in verse number 11. When he came, he passed through this place. And in verse number 12, when he entered into this certain village, notice this, there met him ten men. They met him. When Jesus came into that village, Jesus didn't go looking for the lepers. He knew they were there, but they heard about Him and they came to Him because they knew that this man, He has what we need. He can accomplish what we are in need of. They understood that. They got cleansed and after they got cleansed, they left and they had no intention on coming back. Doesn't that describe a lot of Christianity today as well? You want to know when people want Jesus? When their life is falling apart. When everything goes bad, Lord help me. When everything gets hard, I love you Jesus. When everything gets bad, the church ought to help the needy. I mean that's kind of how people view things today. When my life is falling apart, then I'll go to Jesus. When everything is crumbling around me, then I want the Lord to help me. Can I say this morning, it's a shame on us if the only time we ever pray is when we have a need. We ought to be ashamed this morning if the only time we ever go to church is when we're trying to make the Lord bless us in some way. And we ought to be ashamed if the only time we live right is when we're trying to obligate God to fix the problems in our life. He deserves everything that we have whether He's given us something or not. We ought to return because He's been so good to us. We ought to want to come back to Him. We ought to want to come back not because we have a need, not because we have a problem, not because we need an answer, but just because we want to be with Jesus. And just because we want to be in His presence. There ought to be something in our heart that says if that's where the Lord is, that's where I want to be as well. If that's where Jesus is, then that's where I want to be. A thankful heart is going to return back to the Lord. A thankful heart is not just going to get what He needs and then forget about the Lord altogether. But He's going to see where He's at and He's going to come back. Look at what our text says. One of them, when He saw that He was healed, look at this, He turned back. The rest of them met Jesus when He came in, but they left after that. A thankful heart has time. It finds time to get in prayer and spend time with the Lord. How many times have you ever said, well, preacher, I just really don't have time for that, you know. I don't really have time to to pray. I don't really have time to read my Bible. I don't really have time to do this and that and all of these things. A thankful heart. A thankful heart that realizes, hey, If it weren't for the Lord, I'd still have leprosy, All right. If it weren't for the Lord, I'd still be on the outside out there. But now I'm not on the outside, I'm on the inside. And because of that, I just want to return and I want to spend time with the Lord in that way. You see, a thankful heart returns to the Lord even after the need has been met. The thankful heart is not the person who just goes to the Lord every time a situation arises in his life. Life. Hopefully that's not us this morning. Notice the second thing I like this. A thankful heart not only returns, but a thankful heart rejoices. Look at what it says in our text in verse, the end of verse number 15. He turned back. And notice this, with a loud voice, He glorified God. 
But I like the way that Luke writes that I can just imagine this same leper that laid out there at the camp and every time somebody would walk by and he would say, whoa, I'm unclean, alright? I'm unclean. This same leper that people heard say unclean. I could just imagine when he looked down and he said, oh, my leprosy's gone. And he probably said, well, glory. And he probably got excited and he probably said, I'm not unclean, but now I'm cleansed and I'm no longer separated, but now I'm brought back and I was defiled, but now I've been delivered. And he glorifies God, not with a quiet, timid voice so nobody can hear him, but with a loud voice so that everybody that knew who he was before will know that he's not the same anymore, but that he's been changed and that he's been cleansed. And he just found it within himself to rejoice because God had been good to him and he wanted everybody else to see God and know what God was capable of. And can I say this morning that a Christian that has a thankful heart is going to want to rejoice and glorify God with a loud voice. He's going to want to shout from the rooftop that God has been good to me. That God has been gracious to me. And let the world know that even in our bad days and even when life isn't good, that God's still good. And that even when life is falling apart, I'm no longer a leper, alright? You say, could he really be excited about that? You take on leprosy, alright? You take on leprosy and get cleansed and see how you'd feel about it. And go, go from how extreme it was to immediately being cleansed. There'd be something inside of you that would say, I just want to thank God. Can I say, if you're a child of God that's been washed by the blood of Jesus, justified in the sight of God, there ought to be something inside of you that just wants to rejoice and give God glory for some reason. Unfortunately, in our world today, so many Christians find it within themselves hard to rejoice about anything, but easy to gripe about everything. That's kind of the mentality that we had. I heard a story the other day a preacher told he said a father had two twin sons. He said he told the mother one night, he said these twin sons, they look a lot alike. He said, but boy, they act totally different. He said one of them is a total pessimist. Every time you give him something, he always complains about it, finds a problem with it. Nothing's ever good enough for him. He said the other one's he's an optimist. He always finds the good in everything. He gives thanks for everything. I mean, everything is good, no matter what it was. The wife said, well, I've never noticed that. The husband said, well, you wait tomorrow and I'll show you. He came home from work the next day and he brought two presents. They were wrapped very nice. He said, boys, I got you a gift. He brought them down there. The boys got all excited because they got a gift and the pessimist began to open his. Open it up. And man, there was just this elaborate train set in it. And man, it was a nice train set. It was every, a train set that every boy would ever want. And he looked at that and he grinned for a little bit and then he opened it up and he said, well, this isn't the one I saw on the TV. And he said, my friend has this one. He said, the pieces don't really go together as easy as they should go. And he said, there really aren't as many train cars in this box as I wanted there to be. And he looked at his wife and he said, see, he's such a pessimist. And the other one began to open his box and he opened that box up and boy there was just this big pile of fresh horse manure and he laid it to the side and he said whoo glory and he ran outside and he chased the yard and he came back in and the mom said what's wrong with you and the boy said there's a pony around here somewhere and I'm going to find that and I think that ought to be the way that ought to be the way that the Christian looks at things today it may not look good and it may not smell good and it may not seem like what we want but God's been good to us and God has something planned and within every Christian no matter what life deals you, there ought to be within you the desire to just rejoice because God has been good to us. And to glorify God with a loud voice. Not only does a thankful heart rejoice, but a thankful heart also reverences the Lord. Look at what it says in verse number 16. When he comes back, it says that he fell down on his face at his feet. 
This man, when he returned to Jesus, notice this, he didn't come to Jesus and say, high five, Lord. He didn't come to Jesus and say, give me a, give me a fist bump for all of that. But when he came to Jesus, he fell on his face at the feet of Jesus. He reverenced him. He realized that Jesus was the master, that Jesus was God in the flesh, that Jesus was the sovereign one. And when he came, he just bowed in his presence. And I would submit to you this morning, that as a church, that as a Christian, that it is time for us to bring back into our lives, to bring back into our worship the reverence of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not my buddy. He's not my homie. But Jesus is my Savior. And He is the Lord. He is God in the flesh. He is the one who left the glories of heaven and took on the form of a servant and died on Calvary's cross. He's the Savior that was placed in the grave and overcame it three days later. He's the high priest at the right hand of God making intercession for us. And if that's not good enough, He's the King of kings that's coming again one day. And there ought to be something in the child of God that's been cleansed by Him to want to reverence Him. Not to lower Jesus down. I can't say we want to lower Jesus down to our standards. Friend, we ought to get lowered in front of Jesus is what we ought to do. We want to bring Him down to to appease people and to make Him easier to be around. Hey, when they were there in Isaiah chapter number 6 and Isaiah saw the Lord, those angels didn't go around singing, what's up, what's up, what's up? They went around singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They recognized His holiness and they reverenced Him. And it is time for the child of God to reverence the Lord Jesus Christ and to realize He is more than a man. He is more than a hero. He is more than the main character of the book. But He's the Savior of the world. And He's the Son of God. And there ought to be something in our life that said, I just want to fall at His feet. I just want to bow before Him because all that He has done for me. I just, I just want to get down and spend some time with the Lord. Not way up here, but I want to do it way down here. I believe with all of my heart that there is something you can get at the feet of Jesus that you can't get anywhere else in this world. There is something you can get when you bow in His presence that not one other place in this world can afford to you this morning. But when everything else is gone and you bow in His presence, Boy, there's something that God gives you in that moment. Somebody said one time, they said, they, they said I don't understand the, the significance of the altar call, of the invitation, of all of those things. And I know, I know preachers who don't do them anymore. And listen, that's, that's their business. But I would submit to you, out of all of the things that we do while we're at Timpson Missionary Baptist Church in this assembly, there's not one thing that's more important than the time you and I have to respond to the Word of God. We ought to listen to the Word of God, but the most important thing is when we get to respond to the Word of God and what we do during that time. And that altar call, whether you feel this altar, whether you bow in your present, where you're at right now, but there ought to be in every child of God the desire to block out everything else and say, for just a moment, for just a moment in history in this time of my life I want to humble myself and I want to bow at the feet of Jesus I want to forget everything else I want to, I want to, I want to move everything else out of my mind and for a moment, I want to bow before the one that cleansed me. A preacher told me one time that a lady came to him, and I'm, I'm almost done, just bear with me. But a preacher came, a lady came to him and said, Well, Pastor, said, I've noticed the last four or five Sundays that the same man has been coming to the altar during the invitation. And she said, Have you figured out what the problem is, why he keeps coming? 
And he smiled and he looked at her and he said, yeah, I figured it out. He said about four or five weeks ago, he got hooked up on spending time with Jesus and he fell in love with it and he ain't got over it yet. And I think about that. And you see, it doesn't bother me when people bow. It doesn't bother me whether it be in your living room or wherever. It may. You know what's more troublesome? is the person who has never bowed at the feet of Jesus. It's not the person who does it all the time. It's not the person who just wants to be at the feet of Jesus. It's the person who has no care to be at the feet of Jesus. That really worries me. That really troubles us today. That's what we need. We need to get to a point where our heart is overflowing with thanksgiving that we just can't help but bow at the feet of the One who cleansed us. And the last thing, a thankful heart not only reverences Him, but recognizes that He was the One. That He is the one who made it all possible. He fell down on His face at His feet and notice this, giving Him thanks. And He was a Samaritan. When this man returned and He fell down before Jesus, He was recognizing that He was unworthy of everything. Listen, you don't fall down at the feet of somebody unless you're recognizing that they're above you and that you're below them. And this man was recognizing that Jesus was worthy and that he himself was unworthy. He was recognizing in this moment that I have what I have and that I am cleansed today not because of good timing, not because of good luck, not because of good living, but because of Jesus. It's the only reason. And he recognized that all that I have in this, in this event that has transpired in my life, I owe it all to Jesus because He has been so good to me. Can I say a thankful heart does not seek credit, praise, or recognition. A thankful heart looks for ways to give all of that to Jesus Christ in some way. A thankful heart doesn't say, but look at me and what I've done. A thankful heart doesn't say, well, I did the very best that I could and that's why it happened to me. No, a thankful heart says, if it weren't for Jesus... I wouldn't have one thing. And if it weren't for Jesus, I'd be lost and bound for hell today. And if it weren't for Jesus, my life would be falling apart. A thankful heart says, even when my life is falling apart, I still got peace in the middle of chaos. All because of who? Because of Jesus. And we fall down and we give Him thanks. I want to ask you this morning, there are choices we have to make. If you're lost and you're like the leper and you're condemned and you're unclean, there's a Savior that's passed through this morning and He's ready to cleanse you if you call on Jesus Christ to be saved. And if you have been, you've been washed in the blood, you've been made whole, you've been cleansed of your sin. What group do you fall in this morning? Are you the one, are you the one that always makes it a priority to come back to Jesus and give Him thanks even after the need has been met? Are you like the nine who never have any time for the Lord except when you need something? God forbid that we fall in the crowd that is only interested in the Lord when we have a need. Because I would tell you this morning, the Lord has an interest in you even when you can do nothing for Him at all. We should be interested and concerned and consumed with Him at all times in our life. Won't you give Him the thanks that He's worthy of this morning? Stand with me if you would as we have an invitation. Heavenly Father, we are indeed thankful for all of Your blessings. God, You've been so good to us. I'm glad to be saved this morning, Lord. And I just give You praise for that. I ask you this morning, Lord, as we sing, if there's one that's lost and doesn't know you as their Savior, that today would be the day, Lord, that they'd get right, that they'd call on you, they'd be washed in the blood and be saved before it's everlasting too late. Those of us that are saved, Lord, would you take this time, stir in our hearts, Lord, bring us to a place where we'll reverence you and recognize just how good you are and we'll rejoice in all that you've done for us. We love you, we thank you, we pray it in Jesus' name, amen.